0: Mark 15 verses 16 to 32, we are closing this gospel very soon as we've been considering Jesus as Mark presents to us, Jesus as our King, what it means to follow him. And this morning we begin to look at his cross and it teaches us much about what it means to follow him. We'll get there in a few minutes, but this morning I want to show you the mockery of the cross of our king. This is the word of the Lord. And the soldiers led him, that is Jesus, away inside the palace, that is the governor's headquarters. And they called together the whole battalion. And they clothed him in a purple cloak and twisting together a crown of thorns, they put it on him and they began to salute him. Hail, king of the Jews! And they were striking his head with a reed and spitting on him and kneeling down in homage to him. And when they had mocked him, they stripped him of the purple cloak and put his clothes on him. And they led him out to crucify him. And they compelled a passerby, Simon of Cyrene, who was coming in from the country, the father of Alexander and Rufus, to carry his cross. the king of the Jews. And with him they crucified two robbers, one on his right and one on his left. And those who passed by derided him, wagging their heads and saying, Aha! You who would destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days, save yourself! Come down from the cross! So also the chief priests with the scribes mocked him to one another, saying, He saved others! He cannot save himself. Let the Christ, the King of Israel, come down from the cross that we may see and believe. Those who were crucified with him also reviled him. My family was stuck between a rock and a hard place when the Passion of the Christ, directed by Mel Gibson, came out. About the time I was in high school, we were stuck because we had, like, one rule in my house growing up. We do not watch rated R movies, and the passion of Jesus Christ was rated R. So what's this pastor's family going to do? I don't know if we went to see it or not. I can't remember. Cliffhanger. But this movie caught everybody's attention because for once you're going to get to see the gruesome detail of the agony of the cross. And Mel Gibson's not going to hold back on any of the violence that happened on that famous day. You're really going to get to see what Jesus endured. it caught a lot of people's attention because we're so used to movies with graphic violence and sensual detail. And the irony of it is if you open your Bible, you get none of it. There's no details at all about the intensity of the violence in the punishment of the cross. There's a lot of detail in this passage, but none of it has to do with the physical suffering that Jesus faced. As James Edwards writes, at only one point does Mark depart from his reserve and restraint, and that is to emphasize the mockery Jesus received. The only explicit section that we've read isn't in the physical pain that Jesus endured, it's the verbal abuse that Jesus endured. Quickly, I want you to consider with me all the ways that Jesus is mocked and consider all the people who mocked Jesus. We're going to look at what it says about the gospel and what it means to follow him. But just follow along with me again. I'm going to reference some verses. Verses 17 to 20, you have a whole battalion of soldiers putting on a comedy show, a masquerade. A battalion could be up to 600 professional soldiers. They've set Jesus up in the lead role as the Silly king with the purple cloak and the crown of thorns. In verse 23, they offer him a drink. Many today think that this was given by some women to help ease Jesus' pain. But actually, in Matthew, it's clear that this is coming from the soldiers. They have no desire to make the cross easier for Jesus. And they are continuing with the gag. What does a king deserve? Well, surely at his banquet, at his enthronement, the king deserves the finest of the wines to celebrate his royalty. And Jesus has none of their games. In verse 24, they strip him down so that he is publicly exposed, rated R himself, and then play a Casino game to decide who gets the king's famous clothes. In verse 26, they write down his crimes. He is the king of the Jews. At this point, they're not only mocking him, they're mocking the Jewish people. But then in verse 29, the jokes stop coming from the Roman guards. Notice. The jokes start coming from the people walking down the streets. Everyday people in Jerusalem are letting this man have it. We thought you were all that. We've seen what you can do. Come on down. And then, keep going, verse 31, the religious leaders join in on the fun. The holy men in town, he saved others. Surely he's got some more in the tank. And notice what they say in verse 31. He saved others. Did you catch that? The people making fun of Jesus in their joke admit that this man did miracles, that this man did good, that this man was capable, But that doesn't mean we shouldn't let them have it right now and keep the roast going. And then, still not over. Verse 32, this is a part we miss in the gospel. We tend to think of the other writers and what happens later. But in verse 32, the two other men hanging on the cross revile him. You know the story. Eventually, one of them repents and asks Jesus if he can be with him in his future kingdom. And Jesus promises that today he'll be in paradise. But there was a point where that man was just joining the party and roasting Jesus, hanging on the cross. Friends, everyone looks at our king and everyone can't help but laugh. They are looking at this man on the cross, singing the song, but with a twist. All hail the power of Jesus' name. What does this show us? Friends, there's two realities that all of this mockery, all of this comedy it's supposed to reveal to us. I think we already get a sense of the first one. But all of this mockery reveals mankind's utter darkness. We have reached the apex of human history, right? The greatest moment in the history of the world. This is the time that God's eternal plan to bring humanity back to himself is accomplished. It is a glorious moment. It is a holy moment. We could not belittle this moment at all. We cannot exaggerate its importance. In Ephesians chapter 1 verse 10, Paul calls this the plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. This hill that we call Calvary is is the place where we most clearly see the truth. God so loved the world, he gave his son. A man who is so innocent, Pilate, the Roman leader, claims that he's innocent and yet sentences him to die this most brutal death, the the worst injustice that has ever happened, and no one's protesting. Everyone endorses the injustice. Even the little people, the commoners, how do they react in this holiest of moments? They see a naked, innocent man who only helped them, dying, gagging for oxygen, and they all howl and chuckle, and sneer, and scorn. They egg one another on, seeing who can deliver the the best joke. They push the envelope a little further. They taunt, they tease, and they keep on going. Friends, listen. At the moment of the greatest event in history, mankind thinks God is an idiot. So come at me with the idea that man is basically good, and I'm not going to listen. Friends, this is mankind. At the feet of the cross, with no goodness to hang on to. The soldiers, the priests, the peasants, this mockery is a universal trait. It defines all of humanity think I'm pushing it a little far. You've heard probably the verse, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Well, as Paul continues to develop that theme, listen to how he explains humanity in its utter darkness. Romans chapter 3, verse 13 to 14. Their throat, all humanity, is an open grave. They use their tongues to deceive. The venom of asps is Under their lips, their mouth is full of curses and bitterness. Jesus taught that the words we say reveal the nature of our hearts. Listen to all the words being said at the cross and what do they reveal about our hearts? We cannot shy away from this truth. We cannot shy away from the utter darkness of the cross because if you miss that, you don't get the second reality. Some of us want to jump, skip, and go to the second reality, but you cannot get there until you hear how disgusting our lips are at the cross. It is no laughing matter, friends. What we have here is what is called the total depravity of man. But the second reality that all this mockery reveals is God's ultimate glory. The irony of the gospel is that he's able to take our darkest moment, our worst sins, and turn it into the most beautiful moment in all of history. The most glorious event that has ever happened. Jesus doesn't say a single word in this passage. But as, every, as everyone else tries to steal the scene, the joke is on them. Everything they mock is true. Did you catch that? Everything they say about Jesus as they laugh at him is actually right. And everything they do fulfills God's Word. Every line they say, everything they do to Jesus... Was predicted in the Old Testament, and their worst attempts at evil only brings God's greatest good. I could go through dozens of Old Testament scripture to show you this, but I'll show you just one this morning psalm twenty two verses seven to eight David wrote, All who see me mock me. They make mouths at me, they wag their heads. He trusts in the Lord, let him deliver him, let him rescue him, for he delights in him. And now the people in Jerusalem do the same thing to the son of David, and they think that it proves that Jesus is not the Messiah. But you catch the irony, friends, it's what proves he is. They're not wrong, Jesus did save others, and he cannot save himself. If Jesus were to get off the cross like they are agging him on to do, it would prove that he is not the Christ. Jesus taught in Mark 8, verse 35, for whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospel will save it. And Jesus puts this gospel life on display. Jesus cannot come down from the ground and prove who he is to these religious leaders and scribes because Jesus has to come down to the grave so that he can rise up and accomplish the salvation that he came for. Philippians chapter 2, verse 10 to 11, Paul tells us that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. You see what happens? One day when Jesus returns and makes all things right, the people who stood at the cross and bowed to make fun of Jesus and said, hail the king of Israel, to make fun of Jesus, are going to do the same thing, but not one of them is going to be laughing. Because every single one of us in heaven and on earth and under the earth are going to bow to King Jesus and give him the glory he deserves for what he did on the cross. That's so why Psalm 2, David writes that the world sets out against God and his anointed. And then in Psalm 2, it says, but God looks at them and laughs because the mockery goes the other way. Friends, when we hear Jesus face all of this verbal torment, we need to be careful It's really easy to just look back at all of these people and think, that's how awful, how how sad, and just look down on them. We need to hear the utter darkness of our hearts in this passage. We need to hear our voice cry these things out in order for us to personally experience the glory of our King. Friends, we sing this song all the time. Behold the man upon a cross, my sin upon his shoulder, my sin upon his shoulder. Ashamed, I hear my mocking voice cry out among the scoffers. It was my sin that held him there until it was accomplished. His dying breath has brought me life. I know that it is finished. I want to ask you a question. I want to ask you a few questions, brothers and sisters. The first I want to ask you is, have you ever heard your mocking voice? Have you heard you cry out to Jesus, come on down, save yourself? Friends, in our sin, we were there. In our sin, we insulted the Lord friends, what do you think sin is? Every time that we choose to go away from the Lord and we turn away from the direction of His Word, we are mocking the King. We are describing ourselves as the one who has the right to rule and to choose what is good, and that the Lord has spoken wrongly. Every single one of us has turned astray. Every attempt to earn God's approval without this cross is a mockery. Listen, church family, every time you think that you do something for the Lord and it gives you some money in your righteousness bank account, you're making a mockery of the cross. If you think that the way you dress or the way that you give or the way that you serve makes you holier than the person next to you, you don't need the cross. And Jesus can come on down because you've got it under control. Every single one of us has insulted the Lord in this way. But the good news of the gospel is that Jesus took the venom and the curse of our lips and the darkness of our hearts and spoke a blessing of peace and grace and life. Hebrews chapter 1, verses 1 to 3. Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. He, Jesus Christ, is the radiance of the glory of God in the exact imprint of his nature. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. After making purification for our sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. Friend, have you understood that it was your sin and your insults that put Jesus on this cross? And have you come to him in true repentance and recognize your need for a Savior and that only what he did on the cross for you would be enough? Friend, if that's never happened in your life, there's no better day than today to make things right with the Lord, turn from your sin and put your trust in what Jesus did and knowing that He rose from the grave so that He could give you life. Friend, I have another question for us I want you to consider with me. It's one that I mention every time we open the book of Mark. How does this passage shape the way you and me as followers of Christ follow Him? Have you thought about that? How does this impact the way that you live for Jesus? That's an important question. So how, do, how does all this mockery impact your day-to-day? Well, the mention of the man Simon in verse 21 is significant. He is the first person who is literally fulfilling the call Jesus made in Mark chapter 8. Do you remember what Jesus said discipleship looks like? says, if any man would come after me, he must take up his cross and follow me. Simon is literally doing that, putting on display what it looks like to follow Jesus. You and me must take up our cross. Well, guess what the cross gets you? Friend, listen, the world has never stopped mocking the cross. The laughter has never ceased. We read it as we opened the service. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, Paul tells us that the cross is a stumbling block to Jews and folly to Gentiles. It is, in people's eyes, the foolishness and the weakness of God. If our story, if our song is Christ crucified and that alone, then how should we expect the world to respond? John chapter 15, verse 20 to 21. Jesus says, Remember the word that I said to you. A servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will also keep yours. But all these things they will do to you on account of my name, because they do not know him who sent me. Let me apply this in a very specific way, brothers and sisters. You hear people talk about the need to reach this generation, the the need to reach the world with the hope of the gospel, and that this younger generation is just not going to listen to the old message of the cross. And what you need to do is make it look and sound as cool as possible. Maybe get some famous people involved. And have a ton of exciting events that compete with whatever's going on at school. And if you just make it hip enough, they'll see, and they'll follow Jesus, and we'll change the world. Friends, if the gospel of the cross is foolishness to the world, you're not going to make that cool. You're not going to make that hip. You can't make grace alone cool. It's never going to happen. The power of God for salvation to believe is not what kind of pants you wear, it's the message you preach. We have to have confidence in the cross and not ourselves. What's going to reach your kids and grandkids isn't the Saturday Night Live version of church. What's going to reach your kids and grandkids and, and anyone is the gospel of the cross. I'm afraid we've lost our confidence in that. When you show up to work, when you have a conversation about being a Christian, you know deep down somewhere in your heart you want to be, you want to be considered one of the good kinds, right? Right? One of, the, one of the ones that people like. You want to be accepted. You want, want to be seen as acceptable. You can't hang on to the cross and the idol of cool at the same time. Those two don't mix. That's water and oil. And Jesus has said, if you're going to follow me, you're going to take up this instrument that was used to make fun of me and you're going to get your own. But there's good news. Matthew 5, verse 11 and 12, Jesus preaches, blessed are you when others revile you. You know that word blessed means happy, right? Happy are you when others mock you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice, celebrate, be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Friend, if you think you can follow the Lord or follow Jesus and be popular while doing it, you'll be the first in line. Didn't work for the prophets. Didn't work for Jesus. Read the book of Acts. It Didn't work for the apostles either. This mockery shows us, brothers and sisters, what it means to take up our cross and follow him. But one more question I really want us to consider. As we follow Jesus, even as we accept that mockery, where do we still give room to this darkness in our own lives and on our own lips? What do I mean by that? I really hope, I really hope, you know, I'm just going out on limb here, that no one can say in this room, I have physically put someone on a cross, right? I really hope that that is true. Hopefully, no one in this room can say, I killed somebody. Now, the sad part is, like at our worst moments, I think some of us probably would have to raise our hand and say, well, you know what, I spit on someone. But is there anyone in the room who cannot say, I've mocked someone? That I have insulted and ridiculed and reviled somebody else and put them down? Thomas Carlyle calls ridicule the language of the devil. And it's clear as day when we hear it on other people's lips at the feet of the cross. And yet we can push it aside real easy when the mocking is coming from us. Proverbs 17, verse 5 says, Whoever mocks the poor insults his maker. Check that out. When you see somebody on the street that don't live like you, and you give them a jab to the person in the passenger seat, you're not making fun of the guy on the corner. You're making fun of God. He who is glad at calamity, the kind of person who walks by the cross and has a go, will not go unpunished. James talks about how can we praise God on Sunday and curse our neighbor on Monday? Jesus said, right, whatever you did to one of the least of these, you did to me. Now, we think about that when we go to the soup kitchen. But friend, you need to think about that when you let someone have it. When you let your tongue loose and call that person a name, make fun of them for who they are. You don't have to be in high school to be talking about this, friends. I mean, especially in November, we all can let our tongues loose a little bit. Friends, we got to consider how much we sound like the people at the foot of the cross all the time. What does that say about the power of the gospel in our lives to make us more like Christ? As the Apostle Paul writes in the book of Galatians, God is not mocked. What we reap, we will sow. Ephesians chapter 5 verse 4, Paul says, Because of the gospel, let there be no filthiness, nor foolish talk, nor crude joking, which are out of place. But instead, let there be thanksgiving. Take your mocking voice and replace it with a voice of worship. Friends, when we know the darkness of our sins, when we know the glory of what Jesus has done for us, we are not going to have time to be using our words to put others down. We're going to be too busy listing off all the reasons we have to thank the Lord for what he's done, saving us from our crimes and our sins and bringing us into his family and making us righteous through the mockery and the punishment that Jesus took in our place. When we focus on that, we will be able to sing with not a hint of irony. All hail the power of Jesus' name. Let us pray.